2: Welcome to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Thank you so much for joining me today. And please go to my host page at Voice America to connect with me in your favorite way, whatever that is. Today, I'm talking with Harriet Warshaw. Harriet is the executive director of the Conversation Project, a public engagement campaign to get everyone's end of life wishes expressed and respected. Harriet brings over 35 years of management experience in both public and private sectors, including senior positions at several hospitals and healthcare institutions, and as a member on numerous commissions and boards. It was a commitment made to her mother as she was dying that drew her to this work. Harriet's mom wanted Harriet to help others die as graciously and with as much compassion as she did. Welcome to you,
3: Harriet. Harriet. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
2: Oh, yes, and a pleasure to have you. Um, For the listeners who may not know about the Conversation Project, could
3: you just uh,
2: tell us all what you're about and how you do what you do?
3: Sure, and I'd love to just give you a little bit of the history. The Conversation Project was started 18 months ago by Ellen Goodman, who is a columnist and Pulitzer Prize-winning author. And it really grew out of her own life experience and uh, her relationship with her mother. The two of them were very close and talked about everything, uh, but unfortunately, the one topic they never did talk about was what kind of care her mom uh, wanted at the end of her mom's life. And so like many of us, Ellen became the caregiver as her mother coped with um, a debilitating disease and... Ellen was put in the position of having to make a myriad of decisions, about what kind of care she could she should provide for her mom and um, Ellen says that what she missed the most was having her mom's voice in her head, telling her what kinds of decisions she should make. Um, she felt really um, at a loss not un- not really knowing how to honor her mother's um last wishes. So when her mom passed away, Ellen reached out to friends and colleagues and shared her dilemma with her, this feeling that she really didn't know exactly what her mom wanted at the end of her life. And it occurred to Ellen through sharing stories and hearing other friends' stories that there was um, something called... a a good death and a hard death, although all death is sad. and um, But people who had been able to honor their loved one's wishes felt that, that their death experience with their loved one was a good death, whereas people who didn't know exactly what their loved ones wanted felt it was a difficult or hard death, and there was lingering questions, and it very often led to depression and very long periods of grieving. So with that knowledge, um, Ellen went to an organization called the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, started by Don Berwick, um, and shared this concept with him, and it immediately resonated with him, and he felt that there was this missing piece within the healthcare system to address this issue. And we were very fortunate that IHI gathered a panel of national recognized leaders in the field of -of end-of-life care and brought them together for a day-long discussion of what would really move the needle forward in um, the way people die in this country. And uh, by the end of the day, the experts in the field all agreed that this issue had made a lot of progress over the last 20 years, but nothing more was really going to be done until the public was activated and the public demanded that the way we die, that we had more control over the way we died, whatever that way might be. And that was when... Um, Ellen decided to start this public engagement campaign to really engage people and have them have the discussion with their loved ones and then with their health care provider about what kind of care they wanted at the end of their lives and so this is really a person centered focused care. Uh, really having the individual articulate what matters most to them at the end of their life. Um, so that's how we started, and we have a very robust um, website um, which shares many people's stories, similar to Ellen sharing her story. We believe that the power of personal stories give us all courage to... Engage in this conversation, and on the website you'll find um, tools to help you start the conversation. so we have a conversation starter kit which um, is really a values driven tool which lets you articulate what is important to you at the end of your life um, mm-hmm. and gives you Uh, ways to begin the conversation with your loved one. And then there's a second tool on how to talk to your um, clinician. And each of the tools are available in English and in Spanish. Um, And there's no charge for it. You don't even have to register. You can just download it directly and start using it.
2: One thing that really intrigues me about what you're saying is that you you actually ultimately see it as a way to change the the conversation in healthcare not only in individual families which of course is extremely valuable on its own but also that people that are are able to communicate about these issues will also communicate better with their healthcare providers and with healthcare systems uh, that's
3: I, exactly I, right so um we believe that these conversations need to start early and often because one never knows when one gets up in the morning what your day, what lies ahead. Yes. And um, it's not a conversation that you should have in a crisis state in the ICU, but rather when family members are calm and can think this through and when you're able to share what's important to you with your health care provider. Um, it-
2: Yeah, and it was interesting to me because I spent 10 years having those conversations with my wife before she died, but when I went through your starter kit to prepare, it actually helped me think uh, a little more concretely than I had even before that, so I found it a very effective tool.
3: Well, great. We're so glad to hear that, and that's the feedback that we've gotten from people that it's uh, very concrete, and yet it's very accessible, that people can print it and use it without um, outside help, that it's a very um, very approachable tool.
2: And it has enough openness that you can... Uh, it, it's a conversation with yourself. The tool is open enough not to steer it in any one direction, which I found uh, helpful as well.
3: Well, and and that's a very important point. We're totally value neutral as to what kind of care you should get at the end of your life. It is totally up to the individual. If you want the um, highest piece of technology, the latest possible um, clinical trial, if you want to die at home or surrounded by your loved ones or at the beach listening (laughs) to music. uh, This is what you want. It's not what your clinician wants. It's not what your family member wants. This is a choice that you need to make and share it with people and discuss it with your clinician and request that your wishes be honored in uh, a way that's possible. Now, circumstances change, and not everybody's exact wishes can always be met. But if people have a broad values approach to this and understand what really matters, then um, your health care proxy, your physician, your family can help shape that end-of-life experience.
2: Absolutely, and, and I don't know if this is true everywhere in the t- in the in the entire country, but um, I've been involved in other other deaths besides my um, my wife, and came in with that sort of knowledge. And it seemed as if the healthcare system was actually relieved, uh, yes, <laughs> you know, I, that that I, we had an idea what uh, what we actually wanted.
3: Yes, I think um, you raise a very good point. First of all, physicians do not bring this up. I mean, they're human beings first, and we know yes. that most people find this a very difficult conversation. So very often clinicians are reluctant to bring this issue up. Um, so when a family is have, have had the conversation and know what they want and can articulate it to the to clinician's um, It relieves them of that burden. But in addition, what clinicians very often experience is in the heat of the moment when an immediate, when a crisis occurs and quick decisions need to be made, it's more often than not that there is um, disagreement among family Mm -hmm. members. And um, the physician is left in a very precarious situation wondering who to listen to and um, sometimes have to mediate among family members. So they the feedback that we have gotten is that it is so beneficial to have these conversations at home before there's a crisis and have them clearly articulated uh, so that when the time comes... It, a myriad of decisions have to be made the physician the clinicians have guidance to go by
2: and i'm a, i'm assuming just from what was in the packet that 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 also involves kind of who has the last word <laughs> you know yeah. getting clear on who who's going to take all the opinions and come up with the what you believe is the best plan for that person given their beliefs and desires huh
3: correct and that's why we, um, though we we do not give legal advice, what we really urge people to do is to make sure they have a healthcare proxy, and that that person knows what your wishes are,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: um, you need to un- you need to have that conversation with your healthcare proxy to make sure that they feel comfortable honoring whatever your last wishes are.
2: Absolutely. Do you have a sense of how people are I I first found out about you from the ABC7 the the ABC story. Yeah. I just I just happened upon it and I was so thrilled <laughs> that that yeah. was happening and that it was yeah. in in such a large public dialogue um you know that that everybody who was watching the news that night was was introduced to the concept that you're working on but do you know how else people are are making it to you?
3: Well, it has been fascinating, so um, because of ellen 's background as a, a author and a columnist, we have been very fortunate in that we 've been in about two hundred and seventy pieces of traditional and social media so we 've been in all the major newspapers, The Times, um, Washington post and Dallas and chicago we 've been in the print media, O Magazine, and um, um, Atlantic. And we, it's just been sensational. We've um, been in the Huffington Post. So um, we are really trying to be media savvy. We've done Google Hangouts, and we use Twitter, and so we're even trying to stretch ourselves into these other medias. Um, and in addition... People do go to the website, and we have over 100,000 downloads from our starter kit. About 180,000 people have gone to our website. So that's a second way. And then uh, a way that we really um, was very from the bottoms up. We had not planned this at all. Um, People from across the country have reached out to us and asked us to come to their communities, and help them become conversation-ready. So mm-hmm. whole communities are taking this on as a civic engagement initiative. Um, the community of Boulder, Colorado, uh, under uh, the guidance of this wonderful, wonderful team of women, decided that they wanted to make their community conversation-ready, and they have a, a, a steering committee that's overseeing it, they have working with um, the Hispanic community, the aging um, uh, Rainbow Coalition, uh, the homeless community. It's been extraordinary
2: That's what amazing. they've been
3: doing. They have their own website. And this is being duplicated all over the country now. So in Contra Costa County in California, in Portland, Oregon, in Atlanta, Georgia, in, um, we're going into Akron, Ohio, um, And people are saying this is important and it's a universal concern. It transcends age, religion, ethnicity, socioeconomic barriers. One thing is for sure, we're all going to get to this spot and we're all going to be touched by it
2: absolutely I, I can just say in terms of this idea that it's spreading that I consult with a uh, organization called w- Women's Cancer Resource Center here uh-huh. in Oakland California and uh-huh. they did a conversation night there uh, for their for their volunteers so I think it is a spreading it's a it's a very uh, 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 um, timely yes,
3: <laughs> kind of it is kind I, of you know, opening you're beginning to hear it in the vernacular now, you know, have you had the conversation? Uh-huh. And one thing, uh, another uh, initiative um, that we've been very fortunate fortunate to um, have the support of the Women Against Alzheimer's who have given us access to um, big public service uh, poster space in at Logan Airport. And we have these Five very, very large, large um, backlit posters that are phenomenal, and we're hoping to be able to have a public service campaign across the country.
2: That's amazing. It's time for our first break. Um, and when we come back, I'd really like to hear what what drew you. I, I, obviously, in your bio, I, I read the caption of what drew you, but I'd like to hear more about what drew you to this project, and um, you have an obvious enthusiasm for it. So let's talk about that when we come back. Be delighted. In these few minutes, be sure to go to my host page, Good Grief, at voiceamerica.com or my website, www.weatheringgrief.com I'm available for therapy in California and for speaking and consulting nationally. And to reach Harriet and The Conversation Project, go to theconversationproject.org.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: If you think you've seen online TV before... Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word TALK RADIO to 96362.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and at my website www.weatherandgrief.com. today i'm speaking with harriet warshaw from the conversation project about their work to facilitate conversations about end of life wishes and what i'd really like to begin this this segment talking about is how you found your way to this work what drew, do, drew you to it what what uh fires you up for it
3: sure well thank you so Um, Like many of us, um, I have multiple stories. Um, My mother and I were very close, and um, she was diagnosed at at an early age with um, breast cancer when I was 18, Um, and she survived the breast cancer, but along her journey, she had five other cancers. Um, so we separate? had a lot of opportunity wow. to talk about what how she wanted to live at the end of her life. So it was very clear uh, when that time came exactly what she wanted, and I was able to honor that wish. She didn't want to die at her home where where she had lived for many years with my father, and she didn't want to die in our home out of um, concern for her grandchildren, and so we found a wonderful facility where um, she spent the last several weeks of her life. And uh, it was close to my home. I was with her most of the time and sat by her bedside as she would go in and out of uh, wakefulness and read to her and listen to music together. And she did say to me that um, my charge was to make sure that other people had as meaningful and as wonderful uh, a transition to death as she did. So um, at the time, I was very involved in our synagogue, and I helped with a group of my friends to develop a whole uh, pastoral care program um, to do that just that, a bereavement program. And I thought that was enough. Uh, you know, I had filled my mother's. <laughs> Little did you know. <laughs> and then, and I proceeded to go on with my career in, in healthcare and hospital administration and public policy. And then um, a friend of mine had started working with Ellen when it was just a, a twinkle in Ellen's eye. And they uh, approached me once they got funding uh, to see if I would want to. Um, take the position of executive director. And I said, well, Mom, I guess I didn't do enough the first time around. I've got to do something bigger. Um, so I do think that this was meant to be. Um, so that's one piece. and But um, I also had the uh, the experience of a difficult death because I had a brother who had AIDS. He was in the first wave of those people um, in um, the early 80s who contracted AIDS, and he um, had a difficult time talking about it. In fact, he never wanted to talk about dying. And so I know how painful it is and how many unanswered questions one has um, and what it feels like in the pit of your stomach not to have those conversations. So, I And then I have a third experience with my father who had congestive heart failure, and he had five heart attacks, and each one he played golf after he recovered, so he was never disabled. But on the sixth heart attack, he said he had had enough, and he wanted to pull all the plugs. And we said, fine. And the poor cardiac fellow who was taking care of him just couldn't do it. He said, Dr. Stern, you're, you're going to be fine. And I had to pull him out of my father's room and say, this is what my father wants. We're going to do it. Go and find the chief of cardiology who takes care, who has taken care of my father for 25 years. And he did. And we were just so fortunate that Dr. Smith came and stood with uh, my mother and I and stayed with us while my father passed away. So I've had many different experiences. And um, I, I think that this is perhaps one of the greatest gifts we can give to our loved ones to really um, share with them what they want at the end of their life and then being able to experience that journey together.
2: And to have no uh, residual, because I think it's a natural part of grief to question your decisions and question if you should have done something else. (laughs) <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it seems a natural stop along the road, and if you have the words of that person in your head in their own voice, yes, exactly. I, I believe that's incredibly helpful.
3: It is, and we do know that um, when you don't have those words in your head, there is lingering um, depression, and the grieving process is much harder. I mean, it, there's always the doubt, and there's no way to shake that out of your head. Um, yeah. and, and that's what drove Ellen to be so passionate about this because she didn't have that. Um, and um, we want to make sure that no matter what people's wishes are, they're honored. Um, and a, another piece of all this is uh, that the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI, saw the, the importance of this, um, and they have started a companion uh, initiative working with healthcare systems um, to help h- hospitals and physicians be able to receive um, people's wishes and honor them. So there's a long way to go within the healthcare system to change the dynamics of what happens inside the four walls of an institution to make sure people um, can have the kind of Death experience that
2: they want. How much of that do you think? Uh, 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 I have the idea that uh, because healthcare is a curative model, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that that's that's kind of their direction and purpose. That it actually runs against even thinking about the possibility of death, as if death is a failure. Uh, do you do you think that's a big part of it, or is it more public education, or uh, well, I think it's, where would you, you know, put that? It's
3: all of the above. I think the healthcare system has been focused on curing um, and on technology, um, and we know that um, medical students, nursing students, uh, have very little contact with the subject in their academic programs and very little contact in their clinical programs. And, um, again, we collaborated with IHI to create an open school curriculum, a four-part open school curriculum uh, just on this issue of how to have the conversation. And it's a very interactive um, course, uh, a lot of video of interns and residents and their experience and um, what it was like for them the first time they had to have this conversation with a patient and they had had no uh, training to do it. And so we're hopeful that by having this open school curriculum, which is free for students and there's a minimal charge for practicing physicians, um, that this will begin to change or help to change that issue Um, But the whole hospital system is not geared up to even ask people what they want. So Mm
0: -hmm. there needs
3: to be a place on the medical record so it's documented, and it needs to be easily retrievable. And what we're hoping is that it becomes um, this question of what one wants at the end of their life becomes as ubiquitous as when you go into a hospital and they ask you if you're allergic to some, some medication, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And they always write that down. So yes. They want people to write down, you know, what it is that people want at the end of their life.
2: I, I imagine that would be helped by, it's not there yet, but this idea of your medical record being accessible you know, because it could be not the same clinicians that see That's you right. when. So I imagine that would help that process some. It
3: would, yeah. I mean, we have a ways to go there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, obvious, obvious complications. Yeah, so, of- I mean, the, the <laughs> most important thing is to, to have a healthcare proxy and a, a person that really knows what you want so that they can advocate for you.
2: Yes. But I have found in my own experience when I'm running, you know, for instance, when my dad died, running to the hospital, I did not go look up. <laughs> no, I didn't go find the piece of paper. Um, yeah. So I think that's pretty common because I'm I'm true. aware of those issues and didn't do it. So.
3: Yep. I <laughs> yeah. know. It's not easy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they just happen to be good at listening <laughs> where yeah. we went. But yeah. um, are there other... Uh, y- y- the, you know stories you've heard about how people have uh, impacted their situations. I know you collect stories on your website. Uh, are there are there any that kind of come to your mind that exemplify uh, both the general principle of of the conversation and how that interacts with healthcare systems?
3: Well, um, just recently, you know, we had. Um, uh, somebody shared their story of a, with the, her husband had um, dialysis uh, for many years, and they did have an opportunity to have the, this conversation. And, you know, over the course of time, what was important to him changed, but when his kidneys began to shut down, um, he had taken the time to share with his clinician and with his wife um, that he didn't want to die in the hospital, that he did want to die at home and be surrounded by his loved ones. And so the doctor, when the time came, was able to say to the couple, you know, I think it's time to go home um, and say your goodbyes. And they were able to keep him alive for another week, and friends and um, uh, relatives gathered and said their goodbyes, and what was particularly poignant was uh, the wife who wrote, shared the story with us, who said that people flocked to say goodbye, people she didn't know, but her husband, over the course of 40 or 50 years, had taken them fishing, and so people from the age of 6 to 60 who her husband had taken fishing um, came Mm. to to say goodbye. And that gave him and her this beautiful memory of um, that transition to death. And um, that's what people really want. You know, they want to say goodbye, they want to tell people that they love them, and they want the time to do that.
2: What really stands out, too is is that uh, they had uh, it occurs to me when you've said "This is what I want, there's a way you've also uh, given your physician permission to say what you yeah. wanted that time is now.
3: Yeah, yeah uh, I which I
2: so. find is is often a very hard thing for medical people to do.
3: Well, again, and, to your point that you know they are trained to cure, and they see anything short of that as a failure. And I think it's our responsibility to say, giving people this their choice and how they die, is a quality of care issue. It's not a failure. In mm-hmm. fact, if you don't do it that way, it's a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and turn it around to say, uh, people have a right to choose this over a more a more intensive experience in the hospital if that's what they want
5: if, if
2: that's what they want and i was also just thinking the physician doesn't know what kind of reaction he's going to get bringing it up just that simple interpersonal conversational aspect if he doesn't know that you've thought about it
3: yeah
2: uh, you know he could he could wonder if he's intruding or crossing a boundary or
3: right and it's an expl- can be an explosive issue. Um, yes. And, you know, I do want to say that not every conversation goes well, and not every family wants to have the conversation. Um, sure. We have plenty of examples where people have said, I tried to bring it up, but my adult children don't want to talk about it. Or the other way around, the adult children say, I've tried to bring it up, and my parents say, oh, you'll know what to do. Or, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. it's too early. Um, uh uh-huh. And so we always say it's always too early until it's too late.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
3: so we try and encourage people to bring it up, and if it doesn't work out a couple months later, try it again. But it's something worth pursuing um, until you hit something that resonates with uh, the family members So that it, because the conversation yes. is very intimate and very personal and very worthwhile having.
2: And I imagine if you are uh, willing but the other person isn't, you could just say, fine, I've got a file in my third drawer down or something. Right.
3: Uh, I mean, that's the next best thing as long as it's written down so that people know exactly. Yeah. But I know that um, two years ago we brought this up with our children who were 24 and 26 at the time, and... It was not an easy conversation, you know um, my daughter, the tears rolled down her cheeks, and mm-hmm. you know my son, to his credit, he went over and gave her a big hug and said you know i 'll do this until you 're ready to help you know it 's okay're not nothing 's going to happen right now um, but it was important, and it led to uh, other you know we sat at the kitchen table for about three hours and talked. About these kinds of issues, and and one thing led to another. You know, where's the insurance policy? What what should <laughs> yes. I do under these circumstances? Um, and um, it, it's it's one of those um, adult responsibility things that we should all do.
2: Yes, Anne, I know what you're talking about. And uh, my example of the week is that I told my oldest daughter, who's 33, that I was going to be interviewing you today. And um, she's, she said, yeah, those are really hard conversations to have because we went to do our will and we got back in the car and both burst into tears, you know, and we right. haven't exactly. even finished it. And I said, but, you know, maybe if you'd had the conversation without going to the attorney first, you know, maybe yeah. it actually would have been easier. There's kind of a bunch of parts to it. Exactly. Uh, Including the emotion of being a new parent and not even wanting to think about the possibility and all of that, so I know too, what you're even in a family though. we're a family that talk about stuff, as you right. could probably guess uh but it's it's not an easy thing
3: it's not an easy thing, and that's why i mean if Ellen could have, she would have named it the conversations. Project. Yes. Plural, yes. Because mm-hmm. it's not just one conversation. It's not a just conversation one. over time and space. And- sure. And well, I'm looking changed, forward to con- continuing difficult to keep saying conversations project. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's time for our second break. And I'm but I'm really looking forward to continuing this after we come back. And again, you can all out there go to Voice America to find me in all my various uh, social media locations. And the conversation project is easy to find at the conversation Thank you.
4: Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word TALK RADIO to 96362.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief, and you can find me at the Good Grief host host page at voiceamerica.com. Before the break, Harriet and I were talking about what led to her commitment to support the Conversation Project, which uh, helps people to have end-of-life conversations, and kind of about the scope of that work. So in in this segment, I'm very interested in talking about, I have these uh, imaginings in my head about where where your project could go uh, just from, you know, looking at your website and talking to you. Uh, But I'd love to know what your hopes and dreams for it are.
3: Yeah, so our hopes and dreams are that when we ask the question, have you had the conversation, everybody will say yes, and they'll know what we're talking about, similar to our children knowing what designated drivers mean. The, you know that that's the kind of cultural and social norm change that we're hoping for, and um, we hope to do that by continuing a really strong public awareness campaign, using public service announcements in the media, um, getting this getting this into the storyline of a, a script in Hollywood. You know, I think there are great shows that we could embed this in. um, Absolutely. Maybe doing a video on how Hollywood does death so that people can see uh, how death was talked about and that it's okay to talk about it now. Um, And to work within communities all across the country and actually internationally now, and I can come back to that piece in a minute, but I think it is... So powerful when communities galvanize and make a commitment to um, bring this to their uh, residents and their uh, community themselves and use their own um, local leadership to make the change. And then we, we hope that the healthcare system will shift to see that death is a natural part of living and that it's incumbent on them to work in partnership with people to honor uh, everyone's end-of-life wishes. So we have big dreams. As uh, Ellen says, we have audacious dreams to change (laughs) the cultural norm from not talking about end-of-life care to talking about it. Uh,
2: And, uh, I mean, audacious... Is a good word, and yet it it seems to already be happening to a degree. I, I know I'm in a, a, a sort of select community where I would hear about such a thing, but when I was watching the news and the reporters, uh, I guess Diane Sawyer asked, how can people start the conversation? And the other reporter said, well, tell them you saw it on ABC.
3: Right, <laughs> you know, exactly. We to always me, say, that's, us. Say Ellen yeah. Goodman had an article, you know, Mom. Um, what do you think about it? What do you, you think know? about it?
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, um, we so that's
3: also an- um, are very excited that um, we've gone international. So, just on Sunday night, um, a NGO organization in Israel has launched the conversation in Israel, and we've gotten inquiries from people in um, England, Australia. And Spain, just in the last couple of weeks. So
2: that's this is, fantastic.
3: Um, an issue that it's time has come.
2: Wow! So my listeners out there who are from other countries, which there are some, yeah, <laughs> hopefully will look website. around for you. Uh, you know, see what they can generate in their own home countries. Yes, absolutely. And and I'm I'm also imagining, although I have nothing to base this on, that maybe uh there's a little bit of uh there pro- for instance i would think the bay area there's probably qu- quite a good awareness of things of subjects like this mm-hmm. uh maybe not so much in some other parts of the country but of course i live here so
3: right uh, no i mean it when we look at our google analytics um people all over the country are um, addressing this issue so actually we're working very closely with a group from contra costa county in california which is a neighbor of yours um and we're working in portland oregon which in a 4 state so it's idaho washington oregon and i can't remember the fourth state um but we we know that an, a hospice in Alabama has downloaded our starter kit and made 5,000 copies and sent it to all of their referring physicians. And wow. this goes on um, all over the country. Um, and we get requests daily for permission to print larger quantities of the starter kit or speaking requests. So um, it's, because with the internet it's so accessible Um, everybody has this at their fingertips
2: yes and there's something uh, I think quite particular and special about your model because it is so free and available and you're saying take it right use it take it which is really pretty unusual
3: yeah and there's no one cookie cutter approach so When we go into communities, we say, build on your local strengths and talents and spread it the way you feel comfortable spreading it, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been remarkable. So we're only able to do this because of generous funders, and in particular, the Cambia uh, Foundation, Health Foundation out of Portland, Oregon, who has been exceedingly generous and um, given us the freedom to do this kind of work along with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement where we're housed and um, although we have to raise a significant portion of our budget, they really have taken us in and given us a home and it's really been um, a very rewarding partnership with them. And the third is the Schwartz Uh, Center for Compassionate Care, which has also provided us with some funding. So we're out there beating the bushes for funds, if anybody Mm -hmm. would like to contribute. Yes, Um, listeners, if anyone can contribute. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, it's been a remarkable journey. People have really been very supportive and very appreciative of the work.
2: And I think it's a very key point because there is such a class divide about access to things that help such as this. Mm -hmm. You know, um, to have it be sort of in the public, uh, in in places where everyone has access, and to have that be an option without having to pay someone – to do a mm-hmm. trust or whatever it is. Right. I just exactly. think it's such a, such a valuable thing. And, and we
3: are very um, sensitive to bringing um, this project to a, a diverse community. So um, in Boston and in many, many other communities, we are working with the faith-based leaders to bring the, the conversation project to people that might not otherwise have access to it. Um, and we're in, in fact, we're in the process of doing a multicultural video similar to the Diane Sawyer video that is more reflective of the makeup of this country. so um, we're very excited about that.
2: Oh, that's fantastic I, I hope I see that when it comes out, because I do think uh, there's there can be sort of a that's not for me. Thing that happens because you don't see people that look like you or talk like you, exactly in, in materials. So I think that's very key. That's, very key, that's and we're great. very
3: committed to that. And that's why these outs, the generosity of outside um, funders, um, is so appreciated. Appreciated.
2: Uh, And just on the um, supposition that there are people that... uh, I I have a colleague and we talk about the generosity that comes from loss. Uh, You know, that that there's some way when you experience a loss once... Not at first. At first you're just grieving. But ultimately you want to make something of it and help somebody. Uh, Are there ways that people individual people help the organization or support the organization? I know, obviously, telling other people about it, but are there other ways?
3: Um, well, there are ways to donate um, with treasure, with with funds, uh, right on the website. Um, and so any um, monetary donations would be greatly appreciated. Um, we also are always looking for people to share their personal stories because we really believe that that is a very powerful tool to help educate others. Um, and so it's very easy online to share one's stories and they get posted. Um, and then we've had people who, through um, the website and the e- our email address, have offered to volunteer, and we've begun to train people to um, be. Conversation champions in their community mm. and speak on our behalf. So there are multiple ways that um, people can get involved.
2: And I, I can vouch for the ease of posting a story. Uh, having been on the website, it's not hard at all to do it.
3: Great, yeah. Yeah, and it's I haven't really, done it yet.
2: I'll admit, but <laughs>
3: well, you'll do it. <laughs> but I will. It. i have a few uh, stories But it's to very tell. poignant. <laughs> Each story um, gives people a little bit more courage to do it themselves.
2: Yes, and that that idea of, uh, I know for many people the idea of a good death is odd, but I do notice that there's such a thing. And I guess I would say a death in which people are uh, at peace with what happened uh, makes a huge difference in grieving, as I know from being a, a grief counselor.
3: Yes, I mean, for sure um, For sure, it's sad, for sure there's grief and loss, mm-hmm. but um, there's also something very warm and um, endearing, knowing that you um, had this conversation with a loved one, con- been connected and were able to honor it the best you could under the circumstances, and there's a closure
2: Yes, Um, and and also, at least from my experience, there's a sense of, I did right by you. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here today, Harriet. I've enjoyed it so much. Listeners, don't forget to go to ConversationProject.org to learn about this incredible organization and start your own conversations. And welcome, I'm going to welcome Shakte Butler, a filmmaker and the executive director of World Trust, next week. They're committed to catalyzing racial equality through education rooted in love and justice. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that very much. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. Don't forget to find me and communicate. I look forward to being with you again next week